with the inclusion of Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court, there have been worries of the overturn of cases such as Roe v. Wade, as well as of President Trump being able to litigate his way into a second term despite losing to President-elect Joe Biden. Comparisons have also been made to Bush v. Gore in the 2000 presidential election. I spoke to Professor Steve Zipperstein from UCSB's Department of History and asked about the impact of Trump's nomination being swiftly confirmed to the Supreme Court and whether this will impact the current election results. Can you introduce yourself and what you specialize in at UCSB's Department of History? Sure. My name is Steve Zipperstein. I'm a lecturer in the UCSB Department of History. I'm also a lecturer in the School of Public Affairs, the Luskin School of Public Affairs at UCLA, and in the Department of Global Studies at UCLA. And I'm also a visiting professor of law at Tel Aviv University Law School in Israel. At UCSB, in the History Department, I teach courses on the history of the US Constitution and the Bill of Rights, as well as courses on uh, advanced technology, law, and regulation. So given her originalist philosophy and a six, six to three conservative majority, what changes can we expect to see in regards to decisions like Roe v. Wade or the continuation of the Affordable Care Act? What impact do you see this having on reproductive rights, LGBTQ plus uh, community, and, and racial justice? Well, uh, we certainly now have a six to three uh, Republican majority on the US Supreme Court. Although I think we need to be very, very careful about assuming that that automatically means that Roe v. Wade will be overturned or that the Affordable Care Act will be struck down. Of course, there's a very important case, uh, California versus Texas, coming before the Supreme Court. Uh, the issue in that case, uh, of course, is that um, in the um, uh, tax law that passed in 2017, the Trump tax cuts, uh, there was a change uh, to the penalty provision of the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare uh, that effectively took away the, the financial penalty that um, was previously described as a tax and was the basis upon which the Supreme Court, led by Chief Justice Roberts, previously upheld the Affordable Care Act. And now, of course, without that tax portion anymore, the issue before the Supreme Court, and this will be one of the very first cases that Justice Amy Coney Barrett will hear as a member of the court, the issue is whether the remainder of the Affordable Care Act can, can survive constitutional scrutiny because in the earlier case, the Supreme Court held that it is unconstitutional to force people to buy health insurance. And because there is no longer a way to uphold the individual mandate as a lawful tax because of the change in the tax law in 2017, the question is whether the rest of the Affordable Care Act can survive uh, because the individual mandate is still there there's no uh, constitutional basis, according to the uh, federal judge who, who, who overturned the law. Uh, there's no constitutional basis for the individual mandate, and therefore the entire Affordable Care Act has to be thrown out. And so that's the issue in that first case on the ACA. But as I was saying before, let's pull back a little bit and look at history. Um, the Republicans have uh, not the greatest track record of appointing 
Supreme Court justices who remain on the right wing. And we've seen over history several Republican appointees drift toward the center of the ideological spectrum and even to the left. So for example, President Eisenhower appointed Earl Warren and William Brennan, who eventually became two of the most liberal justices in the history of the court in the 20th century at least, and perhaps in the entire history of our country on the court. Um, President Nixon appointed Harry Blackman, um, who really drifted to the center and in some ways to the left of the court, um, to the left wing of the court. Um, President Bush 41 appointed David Souter, who drifted to the left. President Ford appointed John Paul Stevens, who drifted to the left. And I would point out that Blackman, Stevens, and Souter, all three Republican appointees, resigned from the court during Democratic presidencies and effectively handed their Republican seats to the Democrats. And now we see with Chief Justice Roberts, he himself has moved dramatically toward the center, ruling against President Trump multiple times in the DACA case, in the census case, uh, more recently in the uh, case coming from the Manhattan District Attorney who wanted to subpoena Trump's tax returns. Trump lost that case in the Supreme Court by a vote of seven to two. Uh, both of Trump's appointees, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch also ruled against the president in that case. And then if you look at the Democratic side of the ledger over, over the course of history, there's really only one Democratic appointee I can think of, President Kennedy's appointee, uh, Justice Byron White, who kind of drifted a little bit in the other direction. So long way of saying, uh, Aubrey, that the fact that the Republicans have a six to three majority should not in and of itself provide a basis to assume the worst case that uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned and, and many of these other important precedents. Uh, Obergefell, the case uh, that another Republican, Justice Kennedy, authored, uh, uh, establishing a federal constitutional right to same-sex marriage. That was a five to four decision. There's been speculation that that case might be overturned. I wouldn't automatically pre predict uh, those cases will be overturned, but certainly Roe v. Wade especially will be challenged again. It will face tough sledding before the court. It will depend upon what the facts are and what, and, and what the posture is of the case brought before the court. Uh, but we'll just have to keep a very, very close eye on that as we go forward with with Justice Amy Coney Barrett now joining the conservative wing. So moving on to the election, um, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, came out as the winners of the election in both electoral college votes and the popular vote. And as of now, I believe Trump has refused to concede. There's been comparisons to um, Bush v. Gore in the Supreme Court. Should we expect to see, can we expect to see the Supreme Court get involved in this election's results? And do you see Amy Coney Barrett playing any kind of role in this? So the Supreme Court has, has um, become involved a little bit in Pennsylvania. You know, there's a legal dispute in Pennsylvania about the three-day extension that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court allowed for ballots that were postmarked by November the 3rd to be counted 
the uh, Pennsylvania legislature uh, had passed a law saying that that the only mail-in votes that could be counted were those that were received by November 3rd. And the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania said, no, no, as long as they're postmarked by November the 3rd, uh, they can be counted as long as they're actually received no later than three days afterwards. So this issue about whether the extra three days should be allowed or should have been allowed by the Pennsylvania courts might end up in the US Supreme Court. Justice Alito the other night ordered those ballots to be segregated from the remaining mail-in ballots. But look, um, President-elect Biden uh, won the election in more than just the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I believe he's been declared the winner in Arizona, in Nevada. There will be a recount in Georgia, but he's ahead in Georgia. And uh, all President-elect Biden needed was Nevada and Arizona. He didn't need Pennsylvania. And so if he wins both those states, Nevada and Arizona, there is a far lower likelihood that the Supreme Court would move forward with the Pennsylvania case, because at that point, that case will be moot. In other words, the difference um, won't matter. Whatever the court decides in Pennsylvania won't make any difference to the outcome of the election if, in fact, uh, President-elect Biden maintains his electoral vote lead in Arizona and Nevada. So bottom line, I don't think there's a great likelihood at this point that the Supreme Court will intervene because in this election compared to Bush v. Gore, Biden is going to have more than just one state to give him the margin of victory. 20 years ago in Bush v. Gore, it all came down to one state, Florida. The whole election hinged on the outcome of that one state. And therefore, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States was asked to and did decide to intervene in that case after the Florida Supreme Court had upheld um, Al Gore's request for a recount, a hand recount of those punch card ballots. The US Supreme Court uh, ordered a temporary halt. That was Justice Scalia. And then by a five to four ruling, uh, struck down the recount as a violation of the equal protection rights of all Florida voters. I don't see that happening this time because we're not talking about only one state making the difference. There are multiple states where uh, President-elect Biden has defeated uh, President Trump. And so therefore, in that context, I don't see uh, the Supreme Court intervening in the election. Would you say that it's not likely that Trump will be able to litigate his way out of, the, out of his losses in this election? I don't think so, Aubrey. President-elect Biden, as we said earlier, uh, defeated uh, President Trump in multiple states that uh, the president thinks are places where unqualified voters cast their vote, where illegal votes were counted. But it would be very difficult as a legal matter for President Trump to show that there was fraud in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Nevada, in Arizona, all places where he has claimed so far without any evidence whatsoever that fraud occurred. I think it's a very, very low likelihood that the president will be able to litigate his way to a second term. Is there anything else you would like to add? Those were those were all my questions. Well, I know there's been speculation. What if the president refuses to leave the Oval Office on January the 20th and all that sort of thing? 
Look, I think the, the odds are extraordinarily low that the president will, will barricade himself in the White House and refuse to leave on January the 20th. I, I think it's very, very likely that at some point in the next few days or weeks, the president will realize that President-elect Biden won the election, won the election fair and square, just as Trump did four years ago when he defeated Hillary Clinton. And uh, I do hope that uh, those around the president and uh, Republicans in the Senate will uh, prevail upon him to accept the outcome of the election with dignity and with um, grace and do everything he can to facilitate a smooth transition of power to the incoming Biden administration uh, and to move on. All right. Thank you so much for speaking with me, Professor Zipperstein. Thank you, Aubrey. It was a pleasure. Thank you to UCSB professor Steve Zipperstein for speaking with me about the current election, as well as Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court. With KCSB News, I'm Aubrey Valerio.